Welcome to the Podcrastinators, bringing you a mixture of comedy, social and political commentary from New Zealand and around the globe. In other words, the show that's meant to make sense of everything, but quite often doesn't. Hello, I'm Darren Lees, a globally experienced businessman, politically to the right, stand-up comedian, comedy writer and, of course, podcast presenter. And I'm Matt Danaher. I'm an amateur writer, traveller, podcaster and Instagram influencer and professional union organiser and socialist who likes to be optimistic about the future. Welcome to Podcrastinators, Series 2, Episode 6, and tonight's guest is a multi-award winning writer, MC and stand-up comedian, also guest journalist and head writer of over 250 episodes of TV3's award-winning topical news comedy show, Seven Days. Is the only comedian to win the New Zealand Comedy Guild Award for Best Comedy MC five times and is also the winner of Best Male Comedian of the New Zealand Comedy Guild Awards 2019. Welcome to the show, Nick Rado. Oh, hey, thanks, team. That's uh, literally, you've just read out everything that I've done. So <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's that's it for from here. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> no, no worries. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always interesting to um, go on a show called Podcrastinators to see, you know, how long it will take you to actually put this episode up. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, it, if the name, if the title of your name uh, is anything to go by. Um, how did you get Podcrastinators, by the way, very quickly? Because we both, um, we both, like many people in the comedy scene, we both have ADHD and yeah. um, procrastination is obviously a dangerous element within that. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's a podcast. Just a yeah. Terribly clever pun. Mate. Great. I love it. It's good. I didn't <laughs> realize I've, I've been, I didn't realize procrastination was part of that, but um, I think I've, you've just diagnosed me as well. So that's fine. <laughs> you, you look at a bill of, um, you look at like a bill with 10 comics on and probably eight of them have ADHD diagnosed with ADHD and then, yeah, right. It's just not diagnosed. Yeah, it's a pretty eclectic bunch, isn't it? I wouldn't be surprised with that figure, actually. It's probably even higher than that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, probably higher than 100%. Mm. <laughs> so, Nick, welcome to the show. And um, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. No, um, no are you able to give us a bit of background about yourself to kick things off? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, my name is Nick Ratto, and uh, I've been doing comedy... Gosh, uh, well, June, since June the 1st, 2005 was my first ever gig. Um, I didn't start in New Zealand. I started in the UK. So I left for the UK when I was in 2001 or two. Uh, yeah, 2002, I think it was. And I was working in radio for a lot of that time. And then um, I was going out with a girl at the time who I followed over there. And we lived in Liverpool for a year and it was... It was a horrible, horrible year um, of my life uh, living in Liverpool. Um, it was great. People say Liverpool's great for a weekend, and I spent a year there. Um, yeah. And uh, it was it, it, there was some good elements. There was yeah, there was fifty percent of the, the people loved me for no reason, and then fifty percent of them hated me for no reason. So it was a weird, it was a weird welcome. Um, that city, uh, very attacking. Everyone in Liverpool's a comedian, so. Very, but the, the their their comedic style is kind of very attacking. So they would like 
sort of they would sort of attack you with a joke uh and being from new zealand not really being used to that um it's kind of like you just think that they're just being mean to you <laughs> but actually that's their banter and they want it back and if, if you gave it back then you you know you're one of their mates type situation but when you first arrive you're like oh just everyone's attacking me with with uh <laughs> um with with comments and uh when the 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 girl's auntie i think that we were living with at the time we lived with them for ages for like seven seven months six seven months and for six of those months she didn't she refused to call me by my name she just called me the refugee (laughs) and so so i never felt really at home uh (laughs) over there and um and then we moved we moved to bristol and then uh we (laughs) we were still together then and then we paid for a round the world trip to go back and visit our families uh, via San Francisco, Cook Islands, and then back home. And then, I don't know, three weeks before that trip, we decided to break up. And so we had this horrific um, three-week, once-in-a-lifetime holiday um, with your, like, you know, with your with your ex. And, uh, we, yeah. And then we when we got – because we went on that holiday, we couldn't afford – to like go our separate ways when we got back to the UK. So we had to live in the same apartment for like two or three months. And it was cut to the point where like you're starting to date other people. And it was just really, it was, it was fine if you were the one going out on the date, but if you're the one at home watching Marley and me and with a duvet and, um, and, and a cup of tea, like it was pretty depressing. (laughs) It was a pretty depressing time. And then, so um, from that, from then I was like, I'd always wanted to do comedy um but my girlfriend at the time she she said that radio was a like you know that wasn't a very um trustworthy industry and that that was pretty fickle and you know um she she, you know she barely sort of let me sort of do the radio side of things so I never had the guts to tell her that I wanted to do stand-up comedy which is even more more like less of a chance of making it um and uh and so when we broke up I just had this thing where I just like I can you know, had this epiphany as I, I literally can do anything that I want now. And so I never <laughs> wanted to do it as a job. I never wanted to do it. I just wanted to do it as a, like a story to tell at the pub. And so, um, uh, it was a friend of mine over there, uh, called, uh, James. Oh, I forget his last name now. Gosh. Well, I want to say Welsh anyway, I'll, it'll come to me. Um, me and James, we decided that we always wanted to do stand up. Let's, let's do it together in terms of like, let's help each other out. I'll, you know, we'll help each other write our six minute bits. And we signed up to this, uh, sort of new, new night. And it was like, and the night sort of guaranteed that everyone on this night had not been doing comedy for more than two years or something like that. I think that was the rule. We might even 12 months. And so, um, so we did so we signed up to this 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 night and then um it took us three months and it was amazing just sort of like writing and yeah it was it was just i remember it now like like walking down to work and just felt really alive and energized and like waves of nervousness and um and uh what am i doing through to 
this I could be the great this this is the funniest thing that's ever been written like why isn't you know I could be the next big thing and then the next day just going this is terrible what are you doing with with your life (laughs) um and uh so I had that for like three months but boy it was just like it was that three months I constantly felt like I needed to go to the toilet (laughs) like that's (laughs) it was that's the best description I can do of doing comedy for the first time or admitting to it and then signing on the dotted line I've got to turn up at this date and do this amount of time and so I turned up uh and it was at the bath it was bath comedy cabin um and it was run by a guy who runs mirth control gigs over there um called uh Jeff um why is everyone's second name anyway I don't know. It's not a toilet, but Jeff from Mirth Control. And um, he, uh, they ran this competition. It was a competition. I didn't realize it was a competition. It was, I thought it was just like a new night. And so he said, oh, welcome to the competition. And, uh, you know, we, we put us on a lineup and he just put us all in alphabetical order. So if your last name started with, if your last name was Aardvark, you're on first. And if you were Zulu, then you were last. And I was Rado. So I was like, I was last basically, uh, just by default, I was like headlining the gig, if you will, um, through, you know, just by, uh, by my last name. And then, um, so I ended up doing the show and I don't remember much of it. I remember going really well, but I don't, I just remember sort of almost like not black blacking out, but I just remember it going really well, but I just can't for the life of me, for the life of me, remember, anything from it i remember uh, yeah all i remember going really well and everyone was coming up to me and go wow that was awesome that was really good that was that was great and i just felt this like wave of relief and i had a couple of friends who came and saw me and then they were like wow that was amazing we went out drinking after it was like a wednesday night or something like that and it was just um this unreal feeling um anyway so the next day uh the guy jeff um he um he he calls me up and he goes, um, uh, we really, really liked your stuff. Um, we haven't got the results of the competition yet. Um, Jeff Whiting, Jeff Whiting is his name. Gosh, why, why that's going to, he's going to hit me if I, uh, if he listens to this. So Jeff Whiting is his name. He calls me up and he goes, um, we really liked your stuff. Can you come back and do another show, uh, in a, in a place called Exeter? Can you do it, um, that night, the Thursday night? And I said, oh, thank you, but, um, no, thanks. I'm not going to do it. And uh, he was like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> and so in my mind, I was like, well, I've already done it. I don't need to do it again. So that's it. That's my career over. And then my ex-girlfriend at the time, she was there and she actually rang him back and said, he'll do it. He'll, he'll do it. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I was like, uh, all right. I thought we'd broken up. You can't really tell me what to do. <laughs> and then so, um, but luckily, luckily she did do that. So it was kind of, you know, as much as, as uh, horrible things happen to you, sometimes they can, you know, end up to be quite good things. Because, listen, I if we were still together, I don't think she would have said <laughs> to go do it. Um, but uh, in a, I ended up doing it and then it was fine. It was okay. It was just average. The first gig was amazing. Second gig was like, meh, it was okay. It was fine. Then I did another gig and I absolutely died on my, mm. uh, died, died the biggest death. I decided to write a new six minutes um, in a week. And um, I remember getting up there, getting halfway through it and forgetting it because it just wasn't going well. And so you just forgot. And I ended with the line, um, I think I was about five minutes in. I ended with a line, 
so I've forgotten all of my stuff. Uh, I promise I'll be funnier next time. And then I had like golf claps left. I got golf clapped off and the oh. MC came up to me afterwards and just said, that's the, it's the weirdest way I've, he- I've seen anyone leave a stage where they, they, they said that they, they will do better next time. It was obviously like the, the audience was telling me off for not remembering my jokes. And, um, and then uh, anyway, so that was it. I was, I was going to give up then. So third gig in, I was like, oh, no, that's it. You know, because I'd had one really good one, one average one and just a die to death. And it was just horrible. And then I got a call uh, the next day um, and it was so the competition that I'd entered unwillingly or unwittingly knowing it was called So You Think You're Funny. And it's one of the biggest new act competitions in the UK. Yeah. And people, yeah, yeah. people like, you know, they strategically enter it. So they like go, you know, I've been doing comedy for one year or two years, or sometimes I'll do it. Like they'll try and do it for two or three years under the radar and then try and sneak in because it's such a big competition that, um, that you just basically, yeah, it it can leapfrog you like quite, quite substantially pretty quickly. And so I ended up getting to, they said, you're in the semifinals, semifinals at the Edinburgh, Edinburgh festival, um, you, it's going to be in two weeks and, uh, you're in the seventh, <clears throat> seventh heat or something like that. And the top, the winner goes through and there'll be some wild cards or something to the final. And, uh, I was like, okay, awesome. And then, so all of a sudden from not doing comedy to then doing the Edinburgh festival, <laughs> um, and then, um, and it was, I don't, I don't only done three gigs and I thought to myself, man oh, i've got to i've got to do i've got to do more gigs to warm up because my last two shows have been terrible <laughs> so i did uh i did a, a gig i did one i did one warm up show uh a, like <laughs> 10 days before my show <laughs> before my gig oh, and i thought that'll be enough that'll be enough to get me going and it was uh, bradford upon avon and it was like in this market it was almost like a glorified wedding it was almost like a it was a not not the greatest thing. I was on the bill with a guy called Jeff Norcott. It was a, quite a famous, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's quite yeah, yeah. a famous headliner. Re- really nice guy, really good guy, really great comic. He was headlining and um, he was talking to me before the show and he said, you know, he goes, how long have you been going? I said, mate, I've gone to the semifinals of this competition. I just need I just need this gig to go well. Anyway, I start the show and Jeff 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 Norcott was like so funny. He goes, it went well. It really went well. It went really well. But he says the start of the show, he said, I was um, literally holding the mic to my chest and looking down at my feet and, uh, and, and like literally said, and he said, when you got your first laugh, then, then you looked up and he says, then halfway through, you started to move your hands. And then by the end, you were like walking up and down the stage and gesturing and just like, <laughs> you were just like this new human being. And he just said, it was really a really funny thing to watch knowing the backstory of like, you know, what had happened previously through to like, you know, it was something that it needed to happen for me to go on to the next thing. So anyway, so I did the show, I did the competition, and then so, yeah. So in my fi- in my semifinal, there was a, a guy called Tom Allen, and who ended up winning the whole thing, uh, winning the competition. And it was so I went up about third, and I did really well. I did really well, and to the point it was like oh, I might have a chance of going it going through here. And then um, then Tom Allen went second to last or something, and he just blew the house off. It was just like oh my gosh, this guy's so good. 
But then I was like potential wild card. But like they said, oh, you might be a wild card. So just stick. They just like I stick around for seven days uh, <laughs> till the final. I was like, oh, all right, you know, kind of thing. And then they made the announcement. But do you want to know who was in the final of that year that I was that yeah. I was uh, yeah. that I, ju- I I didn't make the the um the final. So bear in mind, this is my fifth ever gig. So the winner the whole the whole competition was Tom Allen, who's now yeah. a famous BBC um, person. Uh, second place. I'll I'll go backwards actually. The MC was Bill Bailey. Uh, oh, he was MCing. Josh Thomas, who's an Australian comic, I think. Uh, I think um, Stuart Goldsmith. Oh, um, a girl called Emma Fryer. Robert Robert Broderick, who does um, a lot of movies and stuff now. And I think um, he did. He was in like a, a lot of Ricky Gervais's um, works and stuff. Uh, a guy called Kevin Bridges. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> uh, Charlie Baker. He's a really funny, funny comic. Joe Wilkinson from 8 yeah. Out of 10 Cats. Yeah. Uh, and second place was Sarah Milliken. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that, was, that was who I lost out to. Uh, and they'd been going, you know, they'd been going for like a year or so. Like that, you know, they were, they were, and you could tell. Like I was just like, when I watched them, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I should have waited. I should have waited a little bit. Um, so yeah, and then so basically from that, because but then because of that semi-final performance, I ended up getting loads of other gigs, and mm. um, it just sort of went from there. But I was still working in radio semi-professionally, and so I was just the first two years. I think I did about, I think I did about twenty gigs in the first two years. It wasn't much at all. Like if it was, it was actually not anything. And then. Um, and then it was about 2007 when I did uh, uh, Edinburgh Festival. A couple of mates of mine, Richard Brophy and Matt Rudge, um, we did a thing called International Stand Up, and they wanted to go up to Edinburgh. And they sort of, I was I was keen to go and look and you know and and to be up there for a good time, but not really to be a comedian. But then I did, and that that time I was up in Edinburgh in 2007, I did 33 gigs in 25 days. Wow. And so I did more gigs that that I in that month in that three weeks period that I was up there than I'd done in two years, and then afterwards you just like I was like okay, this I'm 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 quite good now, and and then it's like okay so but but to be good and to stay this good, you've just got to be doing it all the time, and you just got to keep going. And so from then, so I even though I've been doing it since 2005, I I sort of only really count from 2007, 2008, because that's when I sort of started to go, okay, I'm taking it pretty seriously, writing regularly and, you know, getting, getting involved in it. And it was less of a hobby then rather than more of a, um, uh, something that I really wanted to do. Um, so yeah, so that's, that was my, my entry, which is a bit different to normal Kiwi comics. Um, I didn't even think it did, did my first New Zealand gig until I was like, until like 2010, something like that. 2009 uh yeah 2010 so technically five years after i started but i i sort of only count like only three years yeah. before it's like oh, okay this is i'm actually doing this it's, i didn't i stopped calling it um doing my speeches <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and doing proper gigs and gags and stuff so do you you obviously thought about giving it up do you think had that call not come for the semi-final do you think you would have still persevered no, not at all. 
Not at all. I, I mean, no, not at all. And Jeff Whiting calling me the next day to go, hey, we think you're good enough to do, like, can you come and do the Exeter the next day? But there's, uh, yeah, it, it, there's things that happen for re- like for different reasons and whether, you know, um, and you can make, you can make whatever you want out of them. You can make it like, oh, you know, no one called me, so I have to get better. And so uh, I have to go up and get, I, I'm, I know I'm better than that. So I'll do it again. You know, yeah. so you might say, let's take it from that angle. You might go, oh, that was horrendous. I'm never doing that again. I'm just not meant to do it. So you can take any sign from anything, but no, yeah, for sure. And there's loads of times I've wanted to, you know, give up and pack it in and, um, I'm writing a new hour at the moment. There's been times where I'm just like, oh, <laughs> what is this? I might be, <laughs> uh, it's, but now it's not about giving up. It's not, it's not about like not doing it. It's about like, it's just more self-belief really. It's just like, do I have another hour album? Do I have another, you know, I've got some pretty amazing closing jokes. If I get rid of those, can I write another amazing, you know, closer? And it's just, it's kind of that kind of vibe rather than, um, yeah, giving up at this stage. Now I'm committed to it. Now I'm like, well, when I'm, I had a chat with a mate down the road who said, um, I can't wait, you know, he's working really hard at the moment to retire. And for me, I'm like, mate, I think I'll probably be doing this until I'm 80 or 90. Like I don't, I don't really, <laughs> as long as I'll have me on stage, I don't really think foresee my, myself sort of stopping. So, um, but once you make that call and once you make that decision, it's very, it's quite liberating because it's like, well, I've just got to, you just got to do it. It's just, it's like a mindset thing. Um, but I, but yes, of course, every single year when you're just, it took me seven, it took me seven years to be kind of like, semi-professional like in terms of like i was earning enough money with my other job when i was doing the other job and and was semi-professional i was like wow this is awesome you earn so much money where you i can definitely get rid of my um my uh my regular job here but then when you get your ready your regular job you're like maybe it wasn't such (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it wasn't such a good idea um but uh yeah man and i just think that yeah if you it's it's a personal choice some people like what i what i say to people is if you want to give up or if you do want to stop i say to them don't give don't say don't announce you're giving up just say that um you're going to have a sabbatical you're just going to take take some time away because if it's in you if it's within you it'll always come back it'll always um be niggling at you like i miss it or you know, whatever. But if you find after two or three months, you're like, I just don't miss it at all. Then you weren't, then it's good. Then that, that'll, that'll make your decision for you. But um, there's a few comics where I just said, let's just call this. I'm going to, they've, they've announced that they've quit or that they're retired. And I've just said to them, I'm I'm, for me, I'm going to call it a sabbatical. So I'm still in three or four months. I'm going to ask if you want to do a gig, you know, (laughs) Um, and they'll hopefully say yes or, or maybe, and if they say no, I've quit, then I'll respect that. But yeah, that's the advice I would give to, to anyone who's thinking about quitting because if there, if there's, it might be like a genuine thing that you might be like, like the anxiety you can't stand or, that you just might be in a rut or sometimes it might be like for you just to sort of just ditch your old material. Maybe you're not in a right, right uh. frame of mind at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, w- whatever your reasons are, um, just have a little bit of a sabbatical, a little bit of a break and, um, but keep writing stuff down. 
just because you know even if it's not comedy as your outlet might be something else might be a book might be a um even just a speech or you know presentation later on down the line but um keep writing your stuff down and and see where it takes you it feels right i've been watching i've seen you do quite a few um open mics as you're trying out your new material recently and it's been quite interesting to watch because you'll do a joke joke and it won't get it'll get some pretty good laughs but maybe it won't get the whole room going and you're like no i'm not using that one again right yeah you like say that out but you tell us that, that that's the fact and is it are you, are you is that just a joke in itself or are you actually no, no. not getting the full laughs oh uh, yeah I, no i don't i do i don't do it some like i don't know how much how many things that you've seen but yeah there's i mean there's some jokes that have been going really well that people are like oh that's that's a great joke like i do this um <laughs> I uh, did this joke about um, me back in 2001 hating my IT job. Oh, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I did this joke about how, you know, have you ever hated a job so much that you willed something terrible happen to that workplace <laughs> just so that you didn't, you couldn't, didn't have to go back in on the Monday morning. And this ha- this was in 2001. And I remember watching that tragedy and <laughs> seeing the 9-11 happening just going to myself man wrong building and then, <laughs> and, and then they they laugh and then i wait and then i go wrong building again <laughs> and so and so i that's the joke and, and it works and it goes great but i'm not using it i'm not putting it in my new hour because my stuff's clean and uh I'm also doing a lot of stuff in America at the moment. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of, <laughs> Maybe it's I should edit that bit out then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a funny joke. It's so funny. <laughs> it, is, um, it is brilliant. And it's so it's so relatable as well. Like everyone's yeah. like everyone yeah, has well, a disaster. Oh, you t- yeah, well, that's it. And that's the funny, that's the that's what I perceive as, as the, and where the joke comes of, out of it. It's kind of like, you know, everyone's got that. I try and as much as, so a lot of my stuff, what I try and do is I try and make it as relatable as, as possible. Like, so as many people in the room can get it and on board. And that's why um, for me, I've decided about two or three years ago to kind of go uh, clean and not swear and, and um, yeah, just go down the sort of the clean route. And it's kind of, a lot of people think, oh, clean, it's just like, it's, you know, uber Christian or it's like, you know, or, or it's just, or it's just not funny or it's not hard enough. It's not like, you know, it's not a, it doesn't have that crack um, of like, of a, of a, like a more risky or risque joke, but my stuff, I feel like, and that's what I try and do is that even though it's clean, it's still really, I try and find it as trying to make people laugh as hard as possible, but I try and also go like, you know, it's some, some, some of my stuff's pretty dark. Like my um, opening joke on my special is about um, how my kids are like a nightmare and stuff and how my dad left when I was very young. And um, cause I'm the youngest of four kids and he, he left when I was like four or five and then I hated him for ages. But then since now I've got my own kids, like I kind of see his <laughs> point. And so <laughs> I kind of see his point. I want to track him down and go, you know, um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, actually. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, uh, so it's quite a dark joke, but it's clean. 
but mm-hmm. it's quite relatable as like, well, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's kind of like I've tried some, I've, I've got everyone on board. Like it's kind of an old, I hate to use the word hack because technically all of my premises are like hack of being done before or, or of things that are, uh, are usual tropes or stereotypes or whatever, but I try and take it my own way and try and do put my own little twist on it. So I'm getting everyone involved but I take them to a place where they, where they haven't seen it or try, or try, I try to anyway, or they haven't, they haven't thought of before. And so, um, and that's what I sort of try and do. And, um, and with the clean situation, it's just like, I just feel like everyone in the room can laugh at, at my yeah. stuff. And so it's, and, and my, and my, my goal and my aim is, is that people like, I don't sort of build myself as clean, but I sort of like go, um, when I'm in a club, especially everyone will go, Oh, he just did half an hour and it was, he didn't swear or he didn't do any, you know, he didn't do anything. It's almost like a surprise rather than like, Oh, because it's not funny or, you know, what, what that kind of thing. So it's, it's definitely harder for, for me. Cause there's like so many stuff where I just, Oh, that would be, that's a, <laughs> I know that I know that that laugh, that would get a huge laugh and a big laugh. And, and there was stuff that I recorded in the special that I just, that has been working for me for years. And I just was like, nah, I can't put it in because it's just, it's not, uh, doesn't sort of represent or people, new fans of mine sort of, they don't want to hear or see that. It's kind of like the nine 11 joke as, as much mm-hmm. as it is clean. It's kind of like uh, I've done it in, in quite a few places where it's sort of, yeah. Um, they just sort of they just sort of freak out about it a little bit and i could use it i might bring it back i don't know who knows but i think at this point in time i'm not putting it in the new hour and um who knows i might be three minutes short and i just might have to do it yeah. <laughs> so uh just just give people value for money but um yeah so it's so going back to your question of the open mic stuff yeah it's just sort of so i have this system and this might be good um, for you guys and for just people listening at home. So, cause I write for seven days, so I write for, um, mm. TV. And so TV is a very, um, unique, uh, situation where it's just, it's just, it's fast paced. So it's very seldom, um, well in the UK, there's pacing of their panel shows is so slow and it's like, it, and it's still really funny and you get really genuine, great laughs, but the gags per minute of the TV over there is not, as um, fast as it is in New Zealand, Australia, and even America. Um, and so in New Zealand, it's got to be like joke, 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 joke. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is because we don't, I, I feel like they don't trust us uh, as comedians to be f- like, to hang around. So we were always like trying to vie <laughs> for their attention, just like, come on, we're funny, we're funny. Uh, so we'd rather do 10 really, you know, medium jokes rather than one really amazing <laughs> uh, <laughs> joke. But anyway, so I uh, have been working for them and writing for them for years. So like head writer since 2014, but writing for them since I came back from the UK. So 2010, 2011. So it's a good 10 years of my life I've been sort of writing comedy writing for TV. And so what it's really done is really helped my stand up. So, um, so now when I'll do a joke and it'll get a big laugh or what have you, and that's good. But I know that for me, the setup was too long or, or it's only one laugh. I'd like to get three or four or five or six in that sort of same time frame. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's difficult, but how I do it is, um, so I'll write all my stuff 
free freehand at first, just the, the like the general ideas and things. The reason why I do that is because I'll cross stuff out, but and I'll have I'll have all these books. I'm not sure if I've got one. Maybe was this one? Um, I've got these books. Oh no, this is no, this is not one. Um, yeah, I've got all these books everywhere where I've got um, yeah, basically all my jokes and. There'll be stuff like if you do it if you do it straight into your um your word document or wherever you're writing a computer. Some days I'll write and I'll be like, "Oh, that's rubbish," and I'll just go delete, and then it's gone. And then yeah. whereas if in my books if it's crossed out, I'll go I'll like write a joke later and I'll be like, "Ah, oh, there was that. Oh, there maybe that I, that other idea that I had could marry into this you know into this idea and now now it's a joke and so this thing that i would have deleted on my word document this thing's heavily scribbled out but i can still sort of make out what the what the thing is and so so i i do that now on on my when i write on one one note i don't delete any jokes now so the ones that you've you said oh you know i'm not going to use that anymore they're in my one note and i've got lines through it um so i don't read them and i don't really refer to them much but if there is like an, a kernel of an idea, it's like it needs gagging up or it's like, oh, that's what that thing is. I can mm. go back to it and then go, you know, it's never deleted per se, but but it, it, it's crossed out so I don't spend any extra time working on it that I don't have to. So then when I get it to the joke stage and then I go to perform it on stage, like um, an open mic or whatever, and then I'll do it and then I'll find out where the jokes are or where the punchlines are or where people laugh. And then once I get that, and, and get that data or listen back to it. And then I'll put it into a pages document or a word document and I'll put it on Helvetica new a font. And then I'll put it uh, on font as font size 11. Uh-huh. And then I will, um, I'll write out the joke as it was, as I told it on stage. And then, um, and that's really good because obviously you can fine tune stuff, but I'll put in red where they laughed or where the laugh is. Mm. And so even if, even if um, they're laughing through a premise or, or a setup, if they laugh there, I put the red there because then that allow that shows me when I tell it a joke again, that I should put, I should give them more space to laugh there. So even though it's because it, sometimes you'll hear it, you'll, you guys would have find this, that you'll do a joke that you originally write down as like set up punchline, but they might laugh at the third word you say. Yes. And yeah, then so you yeah. have to pause for them to do that. And so you kind of like go, Hmm. Okay. But if I stomp, stomp all over it and then, then almost that you're, you're getting in the way of the enjoyment of that joke. So I'll put that in red and then um, obviously the punchline hopefully will be the red, red as well. And why I do it in 11 point font is that in TV uh, for when I write all um, uh, Corby's jokes and TV jokes and stuff, uh, if it goes into the third line, the joke is too long. So mm. I've got one or two, I've got two lines max to get that red line. And if there's not a red line, if there's not a red bit um, uh, every second line, then the joke's too long or it's not funny enough. Or if it is over three or four lines, it's got to be like, it's got to be like, you know, almost a round of applause at the end, like a rant, like a rant or something like that, where you just like, it has to be long for it to get that big build. Um, and so when you look at my stuff online, uh, sorry, when, when it's on the computer, it'll just be like loads of red everywhere. And so when I transferred all my stuff just recently into my, for my new hour, 
there's been some bits that have been really working and it was so funny to see is like, why are these bits working and these bits only sort of going okay? But when I transferred and did my system, I was like, ah, oh, this because this this joke's got four black lines before a red, whereas the stuff that's going really well, there's sometimes like two or three reds in, in the, within those two lines. And so that's why that's that's going really well and that's that's working for me and that kind of thing. So... So yeah, so that's that's my process. It doesn't work for everybody. Like I try and make as many people uh, laugh as for as long as and hard as possible. And I think everyone aims to do that. But it, that's my style. That's what I've sort of cultivated. And, and so you might be a longer t- form story pay, uh, teller, like someone like Pax Society, for example, who is amazing yeah. com- comic, amazing comedian. But if you actually break, if you actually did his process, like my process for him he would you know his stories or the way that he tells and he commands a stage you almost need like the reason why they laugh so hard at his stuff is because he he builds it up and he and and he really he really sort of takes them on that journey and so but that's his style and that's what works for him um and other comics like Stuart lee for example he'll sort of you know he'll almost like he'll go so long that it becomes funny. <laughs> mm, <yes. laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, at the beginning, you're like, well, I don't know about this premise. And then at the end, you're like, this is genius. This is so good, you know? Um, and uh, yeah. And so I've sort of, sort of got this weird thing where even though I'm telling stories and I'm sort of more of an observation, st- observational storyteller, I'm, I'm treating it like a television program where I'm just, I'm just, there will be gags in there. Like if you come and see my show twice, you should get other jokes in there because you'll you would have missed some. Uh, you know, um, that's what I sort of hope for when I when I do my stuff. But yeah, so long, very long answer to that's you know, uh, open mics and and why are you stuff and why I don't um, necessarily uh, say I'm not going to use that again. You know, and that's also a reason why people should buy your album because there'll be it will bear repeated listening. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I, even I was listening back to some of it today and I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. That that's why that <laughs> I didn't realize I called back to that joke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, there was, yeah, I, I'm really happy with the album. Um, so for those of you who don't know, so um, I have, uh, was very lucky during this COVID time to get a deal with a company called comedy dynamics. Um, so uh, they're uh, the biggest um, producers of um, comedy albums in America or independent, you know, outside like HBO and all those kind of places. But, um, and they sort of, they do like Mark Maron and Jim Gaffigan and um, mm. Maria Bamford. And I think they even did Kevin Hart's um, uh, Black History. And I think they did, I think they did another, oh, anyway. So they've, they've done some really, really big um big ones i think they've done louis ck and they've done bill burr and, and anyway so they've, they've they've done some really big stuff and um so i got uh so a connection i made about 10 years ago at the hong kong comedy festival when i did the hong kong comedy festival it's a guy called turner sparks uh he's a new york comedian but he was then based in china and we just got to be mates and kept in contact over the last 10 years and we just had this sort of felt like we're going through the same trajectory where he'd just moved back to New York. He'd just gone clean about three or four years ago. He was doing this podcast called lost in America, which is a great podcast where they take worldwide issues 
and um, ask a local comedian like what the what the lay of the land is for the, for these really <laughs> big political issues. So for um, at the time when he got me on the podcast, it was um, our, our election. So it was um, obviously Jacinda and Judith uh, going head to head, and obviously they were going through the Trump uh, <laughs> era and trying to figure out who tr- uh, Trump was going to go against which ended up being biden but um so they were just really fascinated with um our two our country and having two women leaders and even though it wasn't the first time that we'd done that as a country it's the first time america had actually sort of taken notice uh and um and so we just had some fun about that and so basically we um we chatted and then afterwards we were just sort of telling each other what we'd been up to and how, you know, rubbish COVID was and so on and so forth. And you know, doing all sorts of zoom shows and stuff. And then he um, said, oh, I said, oh, how are you getting by money wise? And he said, Oh, I did a comedy album a uh, year earlier and um, I've been getting sort of money off my album and residuals and stuff from airplays from Sirius XM and so on and so forth. And I said, Oh, that sounds awesome, man. That sounds good. And he goes, mate, do you want me to hand like get, send your stuff to the producer? And I was like, that would be amazing. That would be huge. And he says, and he goes, okay, I'll do it. If, 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 have you got like an hour of like international clean stuff? And at the time I'd been doing stuff um, in Sydney, I'd been doing a lot of stuff in Australia. And so I had this hour, I had this like hour literally in my voice memos and it was just, um, so I just said, like, if voice memo, memo is okay, I'll send you that. And he wouldn't give me the contact. So he, he just, um, he said, I'll pass it on. And he just said, like, heads up. I've done this for about three or four other comics and they haven't even acknowledged that they've got the email. So um, I just want you to like, set an expectation that nothing might happen. And then um, he, I sent him the stuff and then he turned and contacted me the, the next day and said, but mate, they've come back to me and they said they want your contact details. And uh, I was like, oh, and I said, I chatted to him and he goes, yeah, man, well, like I sent it to them. And within about 10 minutes, they just came back and said, what's his details? We want to get involved. And wow. um, yeah. Wow. And then I think about two, two days later, I had a Zoom call like this with um, people in LA. And then they were like, I think within the end of the week, there was like a contract in my inbox. And then they were like, they were like super friendly and super like supportive and um they were really uh i was like do i have to go to america to record this and they were like no you can do it we want you to do it in new zealand because we can't record anything here and i was like okay and when do you want it done by and they said when when can you do it and i was like i've got like this gig in six weeks in nelson i could do and he's like yep just record it and and get it to us. And I was like, does it have to be like this massive theater? He goes, no, no, just comedy club is fine. And just as long as you're really clear, can be in front of three people if it, you know, if that's all you can get. But um, uh, just just get the stuff to to us and and we'll, we'll release an album. And I was like, okay, cool. And then so yeah, but the the reason why they liked it is because it's an hour. It's it's what I said to you before. It's quite it's all inclusive, but it's it's kind of what how they describe it as fresh. So mm. it's like potentially old, you know, um, uh, not even old premises, but like kind of like taking stuff that we all can relate to and then just putting a fresh spin on it and my own little spin on it. So, and because it was clean and because America's very, um, especially in the, the you know the Bible Belt regions yeah. and stuff, they are a very um, uh, either not very tolerant of, of different things and stuff. So <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was, um, yeah, it just sort of, it just sort of, it, it, 
that uh, was a, a, a good fit. And um, so, yeah. And so now it's going to be May 14th. Is it gonna, they're going to release it across Sirius XM on Laugh USA. So it's going to cross go across America. And then um, it'll be available. I think it's available on iTunes now. You can pre-purchase it, pre-order it um, on iTunes. And I'm sort of pushing people to do that because there's a really good possibility that if people do that, then um, we could have a Kiwi comedian as number one in America uh, for the comedy albums, just purely through inactivity of re- releasing albums. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we could have like this, yeah, this sort of uh, number eight wire approach of like, you know, perform the gig in Nelson and then be number one in america uh it's, it's pretty weird it's kind of like you know world's fastest indian type uh yeah <laughs> the be, type situation that'd be really cool um so obviously we'll put a link to the show note in the show notes to the itunes uh entry if right. you can send it through because it's quite yeah. hard it can be quite hard to find stuff on itunes sometimes itunes is a nightmare on your mac uh or pc but yeah on your phone super easy like yeah just type, type in nick rado on, on trend and itunes right. and you can get it um and it's uh yeah you just push um pre-order i think it is and it's done so um and then all the pre-orders that'll count as the first day sale so um yeah, yeah so that's that's how that works so yeah, but then, um, but it'll be available on Sirius XM. So it'll be, it, they'll play the whole album, fingers crossed. And then that's the plan. That, um, just changed the LA guys yesterday about that. That's what they're still um, trying to get signed off, but that's that's what the plan is. But then they'll select tracks and it'll go in rotation and then I'll get residuals from those tracks. So, um, which is exciting, which is good. Mm. So, yeah, but that's um, that's pretty much it really in terms of, the album and um and what have you mm. and when you were recording the uh the gig did you have to use like a special microphone or any kind of extra equipment or uh well it almost didn't happen i, I the guy that they hired was a uh, ended up being one of nelson and new zealand's uh, most um uh successful is the wrong word but just a con man uh oh. <laughs> so it, it was like in 2010 or 11 i don't know if you remember this don't know if that was 2010 or 11, maybe about that time. There's a guy that went around New Zealand. He uh, pretended he he stole like a checkbook from the New Zealand flight school. And he went around New Zealand uh, like a catch me if you can type um, yeah. guy and pretending to be a, a pilot and like staying in fancy hotels, renting out rental cars and paying everything by check. And um, he got caught by the police and ended up doing a couple of years in prison. Anyway, cut to 2020, uh, no, 2021, and um, LA have hired this guy, <laughs> and uh, and and I was like, okay, and I, I was like, because they said, oh, here's the guy, and I googled him, I was like, mm, as long as it's not this guy, I'm, I'm happy with whoever, and I ended up meeting him, and um, it was, it was the same guy, it was the con man. <laughs> and he, I was just, I was just chatting to him and I was like, so, and I said, like, listen, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you've turned a leaf and this is your new, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 years old and you've saved your time. And I was just like, well, so how are you going to record it? What kind of, um, you know, what kind of microphones are you going to use? And he goes, oh, I was going to use a SN, oh, I can't remember what the name of it or the number is. And I was like, 
I don't know much about microphones, but <laughs> I know that my gear that I have, and I've got like a Rode Wireless Go mic yeah. and stuff, and I've I've researched it. I know what it can do. I know what the yeah. name of it is. I know that the ver- there's different versions of it. There's a Rode Wireless Go 2 out in the market at the moment. I know all of that stuff because I bought the gear. And when he yeah. can't off the top of his head go, oh, I don't know. And I was like, that was alarm bells. And then I said, well, how are you going to record the crowd? He goes, oh, I'm going to individually mic the tables. And I'm like, what do you mean the tables? And he's like, yeah, so like each table will have a microphone on the table. And I'm like, but then you'll get like, you'll get like glasses clinking and uh, you'll get like people talking, like, but you can hear the conversation and uh, like cheers. Like if we were doing a sitcom or a movie, that might be like something that's important, but I just want the the general audience ambience. I think I want it almost like in the roof type you know, recording type situation. And so I, I, I ended up, I, I ended up saying to my wife, I was like, I don't know, man. I, I, I didn't say man to her. I was like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know wife. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So that's a better way of saying it. Uh, I don't know about this person. Um, and she goes, this is a huge opportunity, Nick. You're going to have to get, if you're not happy, you can't like, if something right. goes wrong, you'll never yeah. forgive yourself if you don't say something right now. So I had to call LA three days out and go, I don't want to use this guy. And I said, do you know anyone else? I'm like, no, I don't know anyone else. <laughs> and so I ended up getting, I ended up, um, Raven, uh, another comedian here called Raven Khan. Uh, he's a good mm-hmm. friend of mine. He, he said, listen, there's this, this guy in Nelson. He runs his own gig, uh, at, at the back of his house. And he does like music and all that kind of stuff there. Go see the room because it's a good room. He wants to do comedy there. So, you know, just do a, do a gig there anyway, um, eventually. And I said, mate, I haven't got enough time. I, I haven't got enough time to just be sort of like, you know, going to random people's houses and seeing if there's a gig, 100-seater gig, you know, two, three months down the line. He goes, just go see him and it'll take you five minutes, whatever. Anyway, go see him. His name's Jeff Sherlock. Amazing guy. He runs this gig called um, Room 25 at the back of his house. And it's like only a 50, 60 seater, but he has like amazing bands there and just has a great time there. And it's really good. I'm doing the gig this weekend, actually. I'm, I'm going down there Saturday in Nelson and I'm, um, oh, cool. uh, yeah, anyway. So uh, he, and so we're doing the gig and I talked to him about this guy and he goes, and he just go, I had only met the guy for five minutes. He goes, I forbid you to use that guy. <laughs> And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, I forbid you to use that guy. Give me half an hour. I will find you the best person there is around here uh, to, to, to record your special. And then sure enough, half an hour later, I was at home and he called me up. He says, I found two people. One of the people, one of the, well, there's one person that's amazing. that's really good. But unfortunately, he's, he can only do one of the nights. Um, but then there's another guy who's equally as good and uh, he can do both nights. And I, and he says, I tell you what we'll do is I'll be this, the right hand person on the night. So you'll have two people looking over it. So we've got your back. So that this, this situation can, can happen. And, uh, and I was like, oh, okay, all right, I guess <laughs> trust the guy, that you, you know, it could be like another con man just going, you know, all I need is a thousand dollars up front and, <laughs> and, uh, and a bark yeah. and, and your bank details and, and you're good. And then, um, so I was like, okay, all right. Anyway, so they, I turn up and it's amazing and, and I've, uh, they record it and I, I've listened to it back and I'm like, wow, this sounds like a comedy album. This is like, this is a great, there was like a hundred people in there. It sounds like two or 300 people the way that they've done it. And 
it just it just sounds fantastic and over the two nights that we recorded the there was about the first night i think i used about 65 70% of that first night as sort of made the album and then on the second night there's about 30 35% depending on how how the percentages work out uh, of the second night and um between them both yeah we've, we've it's a it just sounds really good so um, I'm super clear and crisp, which is what they want, but also the audience sounds, you know, sounds, right. sounds really good. So all in all, it, 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 two, day, two, three days out, it almost didn't happen. Um, but uh, I'm glad that I made the call and I'm glad that, you know, the, this goes back to, you know, the, um, you know, if so-and-so didn't call, would you have given up and, you know, all these kind of stuff. And it's just kind of like, yeah, it, it, I don't know, yeah, whatever you want to, whatever signs you want to read into, but uh, I feel like the signs are pointing it to the direction that I should make this album. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. And, and obviously the album's coming out, but you've also got a festival show, 110% comedy. <laughs> Mate, yeah, you've got to name these um, shows about five or six months out of before you've even written the first joke. And because I recorded this album in uh, January 15th and 16th, I think it was. So as of January 17th, I had no jokes. Like I, I literally gave all my jokes to this album. And so I had to write a whole brand new hour um, of, yeah, a whole brand new hour uh, for um, from, from now until, from January until May. So what's that? February, March, April. We're in April. It's just three months I've had to write an hour. So that's why I've been doing loads of open mics and stuff um and i've got i've got an hour now and it's actually now i feel like it's it's going really well now i've got i've got some some good bearings of of yeah it's it's going really well and i think over i'm doing half an hour of it down in nelson i'm doing new a new half hour down in nelson uh on saturday and that'll be a really good judge as to what i've got because the other half hour i've sort of i feel like i've got that in the bag so yeah, yeah. so i think um it's it's been hard work i tell you what it's been hard work but it's um and there's been definitely a lot of you know days and weeks of self-doubt and just going do i have <laughs> you know uh, what am i gonna end on <laughs> what am i gonna especially when you listen back to the album and so i on my album i finished the album with an amazing headline, like what a, a closing joke. And then I go, thank you. Good night. And then there's an encore. And then I do another 10 minutes of like three other bits that are like my other closes, if that makes sense. <laughs> so it's just like, I, I have like three or four closes that I normally or could close on in any, any sort of time. And then now in this new, this new hour, when I was writing, I was like, how am I going to write? <laughs> like yeah. one let alone four of these but now uh i've yeah i think as of last week i think yeah i've, I've finally got a closer which is amazing so yeah it's just it's, every now and again comedy just sort of you think that you're getting nowhere and then sometimes it just goes oh okay yeah no this is this is good you you can do it and yeah it's a lot about just keeping at it and keep working and stuff and so my goal is to have three hours or three albums out by 2025 so the first one is 2021 and then because it takes about three or four months to from record date to like launching it and all that kind of stuff so i've given myself a year to write it and do it and record it and then like half another half a year to to um to release it 
So, um, yeah, 110% comedy. It's in Wellington and Auckland. Wellington, I think, just sold out. The Saturdays just sold out, which is good. But then I think because of COVID, they're going to, re- like, they they only sell it to, like, level two <laughs> restrictions, I think. Right. So they're going to release a whole bunch of the tickets tomorrow. I think I've just got an email through now. So, um, but Wellington's looking good. Auckland's selling really well too, but it's um, obviously I'd like to sell every single show out. But, um I'm doing very big rooms, which is um, quite. Un- if I was doing only a hundred seater, it would be, I'd be, yeah, I'd be fine. But uh, I think I'm doing 160, 170 seaters, and which is uh, which is great. But it's like, you know, when you sell a hundred tickets and you still got seventy to go, <laughs> <you're just> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the hell? Uh, yeah. So it's uh, yeah, but that but even that is part of like the growing aspect of it. You got to put yourself into the yeah. Because I could just be sit, I could just do fifty seaters, you know, or sixty, seventy seaters, and it'll be comfortable, and you know, you can sell those out, and it'll be fine. But my goal is to to do a 2000 seater to do 10 nights of 2000 seats. Cause I want to make a million dollars of on comedy <laughs> type thing. So I've worked it out that if I do 2000 seats and um, 10 nights, then I can, oh. I can do that. So, wow. yeah. So I've been lucky enough to Rus- uh, open for Russell Howard, Rob Brydon and Danny boy and those kind of people. And I've been in those theaters that they've performed in and done really well in those theaters and gone, mm-hmm. okay, I'd like to do this, but these people are, paying to see me rather than you know uh and and then you know get someone else to open for me so (laughs) Mm. when you're like you've given yourself three months to write an hour's material does that pressure really start to build at points yeah it does it really does you have to ask my wife that uh and my kids (laughs) but um yeah no it's it's really it it becomes a bit it's not all consuming but it's kind of you just know that it's just there. It's always looming. And and it's kind of a good thing because like whenever I'm like, should I play stick cricket on my phone <laughs> or should I go into my phone and then just like, even if it's just tweaking a joke or just going, is am I saying this joke in the most succinct way? Or, you know, could I put another, even just reading the joke over again and just having a little think about it, like what other angles could there be is such a great um, use of my time. And that's how I've managed to do it. Um, the other aspect is as well as I so my style so what i do is um i i so john cleese is um is, is a really great um writing tip that i've i always sort of have, have taken and i'll pass on to as many people as i can and so basically john cleese says um you just sit down for an hour and a half a day and that's all you do. You don't do any more, but you don't do any less. So why it's an hour and a half is you need a half an hour to go get rid of in your head, like, oh, I need to pick up the such and such, you know, for milk and, and I've got that shopping list. So I've got to do the, do the dry cleaning or whatever. And then you've got half an hour of going, oh, I've got absolutely nothing. What This is a big waste of time. And then the last half an hour is like, oh, yeah, oh, there's something here. There could be something here. And then after that hour and a half, you have to stop. You can, I mean, you don't have to stop there. If you're in the flow, keep going. But if you, but you should stop at an hour and a half because then you get tired. And then what happens for the rest of the day is you break and you go for a walk or you go do whatever, or you go do the shopping, you go do the things that you, you know, that first half an hour you're reminded of doing. But as you're walking around for the rest of the day, 
the hour and a half of writing will percolate with you and and you'll just be like you just have ideas and then you're going so then if you go oh that's that for that bit, but for that's an ending for that bit so you go and then you write it down and then you might work on it for like three or four minutes or maybe five minutes but then go then come back away from it and then just you know so don't sit down and go i'm going to write nine to five uh five days a week and because i've tried to do it and it, you just even when i do do it it's not as productive as this new method of an hour and a half because it's an achievable amount i've yeah. committed to it and i've done it and so yeah and it's really good and then another new rule which is a seinfeld rule which i only learned like three or four months ago and I've broken it a few times and I've, I've sort of not kicked myself over it, but I've just gone, okay, that's a good, it's a good rule to live by. So stop doing what you're doing is that it's, um, you, it's a 24 hour period where you're not allowed to tell anyone what you've written that day. So for example, for me, like I'll write a joke in the morning and then I'll go to Soph, my wife, and I'll go, I've just written brand new closer. It's amazing. It's going to be the greatest thing that anyone's ever heard. <laughs> and I'll tell it to her and she's like, mm, okay. And you're like, oh. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden that good feeling and that, that, yeah. that work that you've done is all kind of like, you feel really like deflated and like, Oh, I don't know if I'll turn up the next day because it's like, Oh, well, you know, I can't get anything right or whatever. Or you get angry at your spouse or whatever, because they're not, they're not supportive, but uh, the reason why you don't tell anyone for 24 hours, because when you go back to it, you'll know, you'll know if it's good and you'll know if you're like, oh, actually it's not as good as I thought it was, or, mm. oh, that's too wordy or like, oh, it's some, there's something there, but it needs to, needs a bit more work. And so therefore once, you know, then you go back out again and then I can, then I'll tell people and it's good to tell people, especially friends or your partner or, um, or even going on an open mic stage or whatever, just, you know, just to, to go out and do that or whatever. And, um, that's another really good rule to, that I've, I've sort of, oh yeah. And that's, and that's not necessarily for the content. That's just more for your well, mental well being. is <laughs> just, uh, you know, just live and, and congratulate yourself on that hard work that you've done, just done previously. And, um, uh, yeah, don't like, at least have you know a, a day or an afternoon where you go i sat down and i had a really good session today and you know whatever it doesn't mean to say that you can't like go to other comics and go i've got this idea about this what do you think of this uh, can we workshop it more that's that's slightly different yeah. um yeah. but um or if you're going out to an open mic that night i feel like you could you know the, the audience will tell you then you know if it's any good, you'll still have that deflated energy if it, <laughs> if it doesn't work, but, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a couple of little rules that I've, I've lived by and it's really made a difference. The hour and a half things really made a difference. Um, uh, and the TV writing thing that, that two lines thing has really made a difference for me, for my style and for what I do. Um, yeah. Is it a different kind of pressure writing for yourself versus writing for TV? Yeah, there is like, there is, um, uh, yeah. I mean the pressure of like seven days in TV is really, it's quite high. Like it's like, so for example, we start 9am, 9 9.30 on, um, Tuesday 
and then we hand over the show like by midday on the Wednesday. So you've just got, usually I'm just writing the whole, like I was up this Tuesday, I was up to like midnight, 12.30 and then waking up at like 6.37 and then then writing again. And then, then you hand over your stuff. And um, uh, so it is, it's, it's more of like a time pressure than anything. But the stuff that I write for myself is more of like a, um, a quality, like not so much quality because you want the quality for the TV as well. Um, it's just more, um, to be fair, I don't know if, know if there's actually pressure writing for myself. I actually really enjoy it. The, the thing with the writing for someone else is that it's some ways it's a bit easier because you've got parameters because if it's yourself, you can write about anything. And sometimes when you have like a blank piece of paper, it's like, it's so hard to write something, but when you have like, you can only write in this square. And so then it's like, okay, well, I've, I, I can only do like a, I can only do a one liner. So then automatic, all of a sudden you're only writing one liners and that's actually weirdly easier than if yeah. you're like, you can write any joke in the world. You're just going to make me laugh. And it's like, Ugh, all right, man. So Yeah. I feel like there's just different pressures, different constraints and stuff. And obviously, because when you're writing for yourself, there's no one, you know, if you don't meet your own deadline, I mean, what's going to happen? You're going to get fired. Like, <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> there's no, there's, uh, there's no um, punishment really, but that's why structure and, right and 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 having things like that for me personally as works because um i uh i you know i'm useless without it i think and so writing for other people and what of this the um the things that i've had to do to get that done on time i've sort of applied that to for writing for myself and it's it's yeah i, I find i found it's really paid dividends and you don't find the pressure of having to write the seven days stuff impacts your own material over the nah, Zoom period, over nah. the COVID period. Um, last year I was on some video calls with some comedians and one person that did some writing for, I think it was seven days actually when I was getting home and I didn't want to write for myself anymore. And I found that then made my own comedy deteriorate. So I got out of it eventually. Yeah. So I didn't know whether you found that that ever happened or just the joy of writing actually is pleasurable for you in itself. No, yeah. I mean, to be honest, so Tuesday and Wednesday for me this week was I did I did nothing from on my own stuff, yeah. and so yeah. So there's none of, there's none of my stuff. But in saying that, uh, I get paid to oh, <laughs> uh, right. to yeah. to do the other exactly. stuff. So it's kind of like you know um, that really intense period of of work uh, enables me to then go out tonight on a. Uh, on a Thursday and do a couple of open mics or go out to, down to Nelson on Saturday and, you know, and, and do some new stuff down there. And it sort of takes the pressure off other ways. So yes, it, yeah, it, it takes away from my own things, but you just have to kind of figure out why and what you're doing. So if, um, and if, if you feel like, Oh, it's really detrimental, detrimental to my stuff, then yeah, totally get out. But for me, it, it's kind of helped me uh, in a way. If I was doing it like four or five days a week, I don't think I could do that because it would really, yeah, I just, cause there's no energy. There's no energy left. The tank's gone. That's why having a job and doing comedy is really hard because especially if you've got a full on job, it's hard because if let's say we do our, 
one and a half running hours, you know, Tuesday and a Thursday, for example, if you had a full-time job and family and stuff, it's only three hours and you can get a lot done in that time, but it just feels like it's a bit part-time and it's hard to get that flow going. And then if you sort of go on your weekends then you feel like, uh, like Tuesday, if you did Tuesday, Thursday, one and a half hours, and then like a Saturday, Sunday, one and a half hours, that's actually really good. You're probably actually writing more than most pro comics. Yeah. Um, but, and I think that's a really achievable thing to do, especially if you're passionate about it. But if you're not passionate about it, and if you think about giving up, or if you think you're like, uh, I don't really, I don't want to do that, or I feel like I'm wasting my time, then I don't know, maybe just doing it part time is, is, you know, is all you want to do, or if it's just a hobby or whatever. But, I feel like if you can, that's a really achievable thing to do is those four days. And, um, and you just think of it like, you know, as like a training or a sports training or whatever um, you train on Monday or Monday and a Wednesday night and play on a Saturday, that's sort of three bits of your day out for the week. And um, you know, you know how important that is for your sports and things, but um, yeah. So uh I can't remember the question, but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So taking up the, the energy, the energy levels. Yeah. So be wary of that and also do things that re-energize yourself and then also prioritize yourself every now and again. So, you know, if you haven't written for yourself in a while and you know, you've been writing for other people and I know Kyle Dunnigan, who um, I think as I'm saying is a name, right. He's, he's gotten really quite big over like lockdown and stuff. And he does this amazing Joe Biden impression, but um he was writing for Sarah Silverman and Amy Schumer and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he had to, he said he quit because he said he, he was, I was just, I was just writing for all these other people. And I just was, I wanted to do it my own and do my own thing and, and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm definitely, because it's only a day and a half of my life, <laughs> I can do it. And it's only 20 weeks of the year as well. So that's another mm-hmm. reason. Um, and also pays pays well as well so it's it's good yeah. so um yeah so at this stage still happy to to do that but yeah it, it would obviously be nicer to just be like full on 100% you know writing for your own things but i'm not quite at that 2000 seater stage just yet but hopefully if many people <laughs> buy the album then i can <laughs> do that every little helps mm, exactly You've, you've provided quite a load of really interesting insights into your um, process and uh, career so far, but um, there is something probably even more important um, to ask you about, which is uh, a little bird told me that um, you once farted in front of Mariah Carey. <laughs> yeah. Well, so when I was in, <laughs> so when I was in uh, London, so I, well, I worked in, um, so 2002, I went to London, no, to Liverpool. And then we went to Bristol 2003 and I worked in radio for a lot of that time. So 2003 to 2009, I was working in radio. And so that's why I was sort of doing semi-professional, you know, professional. So my other job was radio. So I was doing breakfast. I was, I was a producer slash on-air person. And then I got headhunted to go to London. So I was, I was, um, uh, executive producer for a, um, a breakfast show called Heart London with um, uh-huh. Jamie Thixton and, and Emma Bunton of this Baby Spice. And so I was there in London for a, about a year. And then, but I was doing stand up in the evenings quite a lot. It was getting quite a lot of gigs, especially in London. You can do loads of gigs and it was paid as well. 
and a really high profile radio job breakfast. <laughs> so I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning. No, four in the morning. My car would pick me up at 4.30. Car would pick me up at 4.30. Drive past the Thames and the London Eye and get dropped off at Leicester Square. They had all the movie premieres and stuff. And then go to work. Work there till 1, 1.30, maybe 2 sometimes. Go home. Sleep till from 2.33 till like 6. Jump on the tube. Go do my gigs and get home around about 10, 11. And then sleep four hours and repeat all wow. week. And then on Sundays, I'd go to bed at 5 p.m. And then I'd catch up on all my week's sleep uh, for the for the rest of the thing. And I did that for nine months and it almost killed me. <laughs> and it was horrendous and it was horrible. And I don't, I don't suggest you do it. I got fired from the radio job <laughs> because I was... <laughs> because my work was just, I was just so tired and like, and I was just clearly not into it as well. Like I was just like, mm. mate, this is just so anyway. So we, we had a lot of celebrities come in and, uh, and um, cause the Leicester square was just there. So a lot of movie premiers come in and Mariah Carey went, uh, came in. And so she was very, she was weird, man, because she came in and she was in the studio and she was, it was nothing but radio interviews, but she had a makeup artist and between interviews, she would have her makeup touched up. And uh, I was like, what are you doing? No one's taking any photos. And, and the lights had to be dimmed a certain way and stuff like that. So she always looked good. And then um, she asked me or the assistant asked me, um, do you have a, uh, can you get Mariah Carey a non-branded straw so she can drink a Diet Coke? And I was like, all right, what, what do you mean a non-branded straw? And she, and, and, I, and I sort of walked out the studio and I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I going to get a non, where am I going to get a non-branded straw from? Anyway, so I go down the road and then Leicester Square, there's a Burger King on the corner. And so I just went there and then ripped open like back day, like the paper and all that kind of stuff and then handed her the straw. And then she literally took one sip of the Diet Coke and then like didn't drink it again. She was just like, that was it. And it was was just, anyway. So we were in there for ages, like two or three hours. And then uh, it was quite hot in there and it was quite stuffy and no one had any breaks. And then it just got to the point where I was just like, I went to move or do something with them. Um, like, like I, I think like a piece of paper went on the ground or something. Anyway, I bent over, I ended up farting and then Mariah Carey just goes, sorry, Nick, what was that? <laughs> so that's, so that's, I don't know if anyone's seen my yoga joke or my yoga stuff, like that's where the initial idea came from was the, was that was like, I was in front of Mariah Carey and I was like, and I farted and she says, sorry, and it was that. And I just sort of said, Oh no, no, it was nothing kind of thing. And just sort of like passed it off that it was nothing. But then I sort of came up with this joke as like, Oh, imagine if it was like, imagine if I had to come up with a question that sounded like my fart and then like, what would that sound like? And then it sort of came into this whole bit. But when I used to tell the story in the beginning, it used to, I used to just tell it as a truthful story, like Mariah Carey, and so that. but it was like, so like, what do you mean you, you a you're a kiwi guy what do you mean you're working in, and it was like a lot to set up yeah. as yeah. a you know what i mean like as in like this and it's like there's just a lot to set up for essentially just sort of kind of going oh it was you know an awkward mistake and so it took me years to sort of perfect that joke and to kind of go well, what if it was in this scenario what if it was this this and this and then 
going back to what we we're talking about earlier is like trying to find a environment where everyone is, is can relate to, but then put my own twist on it. Um, and so if you buy the album or if you listen to the album, you'll, it's the bit that I close, um, close with, um, the first little closer and, uh, it goes really, really well, but, um, yeah, that's the, uh, the behind the scenes, the, the director's cut of that joke, <laughs> the director's cutting wind of that joke. And I've heard a little bird told me that Jerry Springer once gave you some great advice. Yep. So in that same building, Leicester Square, he was the, I think he was the narrator for Chicago and he was doing some um, like press, press for the, for that. And he came in and we of course, the Jerry Springer show was like the first, you know, like chat show that was kind of like this wild thing where he would get, um, you know, like, I don't know, uh, my my husband always like thinks he's a baby and he'd like come out and he'd be dressed as a baby in diapers and all that kind of stuff. And people would be like, Whoa, you know, and, and they get people to fight and all that kind of stuff. It was this really car crash television, but everyone loved it. For those of you who haven't seen it, just type Jerry Springer in YouTube. I'm sure you'd be able to find something that, that relates to it. But he said something really amazing to me and really interesting. So the, how they did that show is he said that all of those shows there was there was there was truth to all of those shows he said it was the producer's show a job and his job to find the jerry springer show out of those people and then so he's like oh so what kind of fetishes have you got or like you know have you done this or what have you done this and then they'll go like oh i guess i'd like sometimes he, he dresses up as a baby and like, okay well how can we maximize this baby situation or that you know other people like this and you know what about if we bring in someone who um I don't know, kids who dress like old men or whatever his thing was, is that he he would try and maximize it. Or if it was like a cheating spouse, it's like, well, you definitely like cheated on with a sister. Like, we definitely have to get that sister to come in and at the right time and riled up and that kind of thing. And the advice that he gave me was there's a Jerry Springer show in everyone. So uh-huh. don't treat people any like higher or lower than you because everyone has a Jerry Springer show in them. And it's just that, you know, that, that hasn't popped to the surface yet. Doesn't mean that they haven't got one. And so it was a really great analogy or not analogy, but just a really great reminder that we are literally all the same. But if you could put it in that context where it's like, you've got a Jerry Springer show on you. I don't know what it is, but everyone's got that Jerry Springer show where you're like, okay, that that would be humiliated on uh, American television <laughs> if they brought the right people out at the right time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was that. You have got a couple of Jerry Springer shows? Yes. Oh, you've got a couple of Jerry Springer shows? My, I think I've got a season. I've got a season. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you're a tremendously successful MC looking by all those beautiful trophies that are sitting behind you there. <laughs> <laughs> and they look gorgeous. Do you, know, do you know what? I didn't put them there. Um, they, so my, this is the uh, office. This is the YouTube office. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, and my wife uh, actually makes, she, she makes scented candles. Uh, hence all well, my jokes are all about that. Um, and um they and the kids the kids love playing with them and so they like line them up <laughs> and so the kids <laughs> the kids they're very, very there's like there's some everywhere there's another one there's another one over here somewhere and they're just like there's just trophies like all hidden everywhere which is great some of them are some of them are like really good ones that i'm really proud of and some of them um yeah 
some of them is i don't even understand what they mean like best industry friend i don't know what that is <laughs> it kind of looks like a terracotta army of awards yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it is it's kind of um that's how i that's how i would stop people um rather than stopping people attacking my town i'm stopping people coming into my town because they don't want me to start going to, to tell them the story about how I won the awards. So they just don't, <laughs> they just don't come, come to my town. I don't go to the next town. He's, he's got five stories about how he won an award. <laughs> so I understand, obviously you're uh, you are obviously a very successful and awarded MC. Mm. Another bird has told us that you could be running an MC class in June. Is, is there yeah. any truth to this? Uh... Yeah. So I ran one down in Dunedin, actually, uh, Dunedin Comedy Festival. Um, uh, who? Someone asked me to do that. Oh, my name, my name recall is uh, is terrible at the moment. Oh yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, what's his name? I've forgotten him. Anyway, guy in Dunedin. He 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 got asked me to do one. And it went really well and it was good. It was a good refresher for me as well as like to remind myself of like the tips and tricks that I use. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that's right. I did. I do do that. Um, that's the reason why that works and that kind of stuff. Um, yes, I'm going to be doing one. Uh, I think Ian Ireland has asked me to do it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really, I, I honestly believe that. So when I started doing MCing in, in England, the only reason why I did MCing is because no one else wanted to do it. And it was the only paid spot that you could do really, or get time on stage and you could get as much time as the headline. You could get like 10, 15, 20 minutes sometimes, sometimes even 30 minutes if they asked you to do two 15s. And um, it was uh, a way for me to get paid, but also to get stage time and, also you know get two spots like you can get up there and do 10 for spot and then come on after the act and you know do whatever and so i wanted that work and so i ended up going well if i'm gonna want to get a lot more work out of this then i can um then i have to um be good at it and so i was very lucky to have like a mentor and a a very like the greatest MC in the world, I think, is Jared Christmas, who's a New Zealand yeah. um, comedian, but he's based in the UK, and he's just he taught me everything that um, I I knew at that time, and I've since gone on and done my own little things with it. But he sort of taught me the basics, and and boy, man, he yeah. Once you know those basics, you can sort of go from any, anywhere from there, and um and he's phenomenal. He's he's actually a phenomenal MC, and um I. Uh, yeah. And in this course, I will tell you a, a lot of it will be stuff you already know and already be like, oh yeah. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's like, you know, when people say, oh, how do you lose weight? And you're like, well, you just have to eat better. And like, oh, I know, I know that, but like, give me the quick, <laughs> give me the magic bullet type thing, you know? Um, but I, I, I break it down. Like what's a good MC, what's a great MC and what's an excellent MC. And so, um, uh, and then I put little sort of bullet points or things that, that I expect uh, for a good MC and what I expect from a great MC and what I ex accept, uh, expect from an excellent mc and so i give you all these things if you're hitting those things you become those mcs and so um uh yeah and i and i i sort of map it out really well i give you loads of really great um yeah great insights as to what you can do and it's kind of it's a bit 
uh, it's a bit like, I don't know if you saw those magician shows where they like reveal the secrets of the magicians. Yeah. It's a bit like that where you afterwards, you're like, uh, oh, the magic kind of goes a little bit that <laughs> uh, you kind of like, Oh, okay. I know what they did there. And so, um, so I sort of, I sort of strip away a lot of the, you know, um, the thing of like, oh, I can't, I could never do that. I can't do that. You know, that you see someone just effortlessly MC a brilliant show and they're like, I just could never do that. Well, I'll give you the tips and tricks that you can do it. And then you just put your own little spin on it. And uh, then, then you can start playing around with those um, great and ex- you know, an excellent type MCs rather than just a good one. And um, yeah, it's a fun one. I'm, I'm really pleased and, and um, honored that Ian's asked me to do it and I'm really passionate about it. And I feel like, like an MC is, is, is important. And in, in terms of the comedy night and uh, the more great MCs that we have, the better it is. And listen, I've, I'm doing more headline spots at the moment. So and other spots as well. So I want good MCs. I don't want to have to like go on and sort of have to MC my own, you know, to work the room up again. I want people to, to do well and, and to achieve really great things. And um, yeah, I learned to, if I, if I can learn it, then you guys can learn it because um, yeah, I was very, I used to hate chatting to the audience. I used to, well, in my third ever gig, I, said i promise i'll be funnier next time <laughs> and left the stage to a golf clap so if you can get from that level to winning best mc five five times then uh yeah i think if i can do it anyone can do it so i'm not too sure when it is but i'm sure we'll, you guys will and i will tell everyone and i'm sure ian will to let everyone know but it's I, it's definitely worthwhile to do it and um and even if you're an experienced MC as well, I think you should do it. Cause I feel from, even for me, just reiterating it, I was like, oh yeah, I should keep doing that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. For me, it's kind of like the reason I want to do it is it's that how can you get your first MC gig when you've got no experience of being an MC? Yeah. So that's going to be a real kind of like good yeah. understanding for me out of it is how do you get someone to trust you with their night? exactly totally and and do you know mm. what like it's very you'd be surprised at how easily people will give it to you because they don't want to do it they they are so afraid of doing it that mm. even if you just even if you just put your hands up and say i'll do it that's sometimes just enough uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, to to get that job um but uh but i'll teach you not only to to get that job but also to keep it and to other people to ask you to do that job mm-hmm. as well because um yeah it's my it's honestly it's based if you just do the things that i say like even if you literally just do them like a plus b equal you know c even if you just do those 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 points everyone will go wow that's a great like that mm-hmm. the night's going really well mm. do you prefer emceeing or stand-up uh so the, now so i so I treat stand up like kind of like UFC or MMA. Not that I do that, but I, I, I sort of watch it and I sort of, if you, maybe that's not an analogy you might be familiar with, but like maybe um, a, a, a character in a video game or a boxer or I don't know, any kind of sports person or whatever, where you've got so many aspects and so many skills, skills to learn that you can't, be amazing at everything straight away so you've got to like i don't know spend some time you know boxing for a little bit so you get that good but then once your boxing's good then you've got to work down on your i don't know 
your take takedown defense or your running or your speed or your agility or whatever it is. And so you're sort of like powering up or leveling up on these different um, aspects or skill sets. And that's how I treat stand up. So for me, the start the the first leveling up was MC. So what I did was instead of going a little bit of MC, a little bit of joke writing, a little bit of opening, whatever, I just went filled up that MC bar. <laughs> and so I was just very top heavy on MC. And then everyone was like, oh, we just get we just give Nick the MC gig. We'll give Nick the MC gig. And then I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to become and people would often say, oh, he's a great MC, but he you know has got any he hasn't got any material and so i'll be like okay so i want to step away from that and then i want to write some really great material so i want to be have like this killer 20 minutes i just want to have like this great opening 20 minutes and so i stepped away from him seeing and then just did that and just started like material 20 minutes 20 minutes material and then i was like oh he's a really great opener so he can take a cold room and make it really go well but he can't close a show. Like you wouldn't close him with a show. He hasn't got that, that like sort of that, you know, round of applause, standing ovation. We want to see that person again, headlining type vibe. So then I was like, okay, I don't want to MC and I don't want to open. I just want to headline. And so I just concentrated on like writing headline type stuff. So I was just like, so yes, you can open well, you can, you know, and get that, that sort of middle period going. And then now it's a big close. It's a big, you know, what are you, what is he going to finish on to then go, wow, that's, that was an amazing thing. And so I sort of like powered up all these bars and, and now hopefully I've got all these um, tools in my, my, in my toolbox. So whenever I go to a gig or a show, I'm like, okay, I've seen this room before. I know what this mean, this room needs. It needs, it needs an MC here. Even if I'm going on last, it's like, they don't want to be, they don't want material. They just want to be riffed with, they just want to be chatting, chat to, or they'll be like, oh, they've had such a great night. They just want someone to close the show. They just want someone to just like hit them with great stuff, whatever. Or the room's cold. So I might have to open with them first and then how, you know, or whatever. So I've got these tools in my tool belt. And so for me, um, I just love making people laugh and getting for, so taking whatever level of laughs or whatever the room is to, to that next level. That That's my job is to like go, you've given it to me at this level and I'm not going to tank it. I'm not going to bring it down. I'm going to go to another level. And so, yeah, I prefer uh, headlining. now I feel like, you know, I like doing spots now because that's, I'm writing an hour and I, and I want to do, and I want to, yeah get those spots done but um i don't mind him seeing um but yeah headlining's great i I like headlining to be honest because i love watching the show seeing all the aspects of the show and then um yeah going on and rocking it and there's no better feeling than when everyone's done their job and then when you come on and and it's up here and then there's an expectation where you go oh you better be good as well so you got to take it to another level there's no worse a feeling that when you're the headliner and people have been either unprofessional or tanked it. And then you're just like, I've got to save the show. <laughs> and <laughs> even, even if it's, and it's a great feeling if you can do it and, and you become a hero and, and people will remember you for sure, but it's not what you want to do. You want the whole team to be like, isn't comedy yeah. great rather than this individual, but, or well, that's how I feel anyway. But yeah. um, I think um, other people, yeah they might want to take the individual glory but um <laughs> yeah. yeah i'd rather them go away and then buy another ticket for comedy rather than you know just to 
you know, compare who was bad and who was good. So, yeah. Hope that answers your question. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. So, obviously, you've got a gig tonight, so you're going to need mm. to nip off pretty soon. Is there anything yes. else you want to promote before we leave? Uh, no. Uh, comedy Festival show, yeah, everything's at my website, nickgrado.com. So, the only other thing I will say is that we're in the midst of doing these at the moment. Um, they're not <laughs> finished. That's why they look pretty naff. But um, uh, we're doing – so, in a couple of – maybe I think four or five days I'm releasing these things called comedy candles, <clears throat> which uh, I do this joke about scented candles and yeah, yeah. scented candles <laughs> and how, um, so on, on my comedy album, if you buy a comedy album off my website um, and you go to nickrado.com and there's a, like a button there, it says pre-purchase comedy, whatever. So when you pre-purchase it, it will come with a free um, scented candle, but on the scented candles, they'll have like quotes from my, hour like um prague and two questions and uh, a couple other bits and pieces like famous bits of mine but also there's like actual comedy candles like there's one called compromise uh which is just you know when you don't want to fight anymore but um you don't want to argue anymore either so you just sort of get that compromise candle out and sort of light it and it's a vanilla flavor so (laughs) there's no (laughs) there's no there's no there's no opinions in this compromise candle. And so, um, and there's things like that. And the I'm fine candle, which is when your partner says they're fine, but you know that that's not really, they're not really fine. And that's got like a 50 plus hour burn time. So by the time you get to the bottom, you'll find out what's actually the matter. And so, um, so there's just, there's loads of stuff like that, but each candle will have like a little QR code with the, um, uh, with the album on it. So if you're like a big fan of my comedy, then you get a free candle with my comedy. And if you don't like my comedy, um, you get a free album with the candle. <laughs> so Some real uh, synergy there. Yeah, that's you know, you know, marketing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's we're just currently working on that. We just got sign off of the um the labels um today actually, and then my wife's very busy uh, making making them at the moment. They're actually very professional. They're looking very good. So yeah, so that'll be a fun little thing to to buy with the thing because i think gone are the days where you can buy like a cd or a you know some people still have vinyl but it's very very few so when i go to a show it's like it's nice to have a physical thing that they have bought for their for their money and so um yeah rather than just like give me your oh here's a here's a link <laughs> here's a here's a 20 dollar link <laughs> um so yeah it's it's just something to yeah to give and um yeah so and it, it all relates to my show as well so it's all good please that's, it. that's all i wanted to all i wanted to plug really please tell me you didn't take advice off gwyneth paltrow about candles <laughs> you're about the fifth person who said that actually whenever <laughs> they say scented candles they think it's every it's, it's got like essence of me in it no it's uh thank god <laughs> <laughs> No, although there's a lot of money in that. So maybe that's the second wave. That's the second album. <laughs> Imagine yeah. selling 2,000 of those every night. Oh, mate. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, it's hard for a start. Yeah, it's hard, hard for a business that started in the garage. So it's, that's more of a, a mass manufacturing unit, that one. Yeah, well, um, I think we've got the name for this episode. The Sense of Negrado. <laughs> 
<laughs> the scent of Nicaragua. <laughs> I love it. Very good. Very so, good. Um, thanks very much for coming on and good luck with the gig tonight. Hey, no worries. Yeah, great I better okay. go because it's in Mount Eden. I've got to shoot off now. But um, yeah, great chatting to you guys and uh, always a pleasure. And um, yeah, just let us know like what you need from me in terms of pushing it on socials and stuff. And I'll, I'll do my best to, to put it out there. 